0: Boswell, licensed psychotherapist and as of recently certified personality disorder treatment provider. Yes, your boy did that, but I'm still not on the level of my esteemed colleague, PhD.
1: Dr. Lynn Varela, just your simple, average, everyday licensed mental health counselor who does specialize in personality disorders, particularly borderline personality disorder. And if you have it, I love you. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. We love you. And you can just think of me as your friendly neighborhood therapist. we will make it simple.
1: All right, my friends. So today the topic is going to be shame. Yum, yum. Not really. But it's so important in the treatment of trauma, personality disorders. And the thing isn't until recently, like let's say the last 10, 15 years at most, nobody really recognized the importance of this piece in treating trauma. I mean, when I was personally trained, nobody even discussed shame. I was never during my whole master's program. Nobody said, hey, you need to look at shame. It wasn't until Brene Brown that I even discovered that there was an important part you know, of this to discover or process in trauma. And without processing it and addressing it, you're not fully addressing the trauma. I don't know about you, John.
0: Absolutely. I really don't remember covering any of that in grad school, like you said. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's yet bananas. it's so integral.
0: It really is.
1: So let's go into this, people. So what is shame versus guilt? I mean, I can give you Brene Brown's definition and then you could always add to it. Sure. I'm very, very much a Brene Brown fan. And so I quote her a lot, especially when I'm talking about shame. How she defines this is that. Guilt is kind of like when you come to work late one morning because you're hungover because the night before you had a lot of tequila shots and you were having fun with your (laughs) (laughs) friends. And so you get there and you're like, dang, I need to stop, you know, doing this. I need to stop drinking when I know I have to work the next day because this is setting me up for failure. You know, I'll just do different next next Friday or whatever. Shame is the same scenario, but you're like, oh, man, I'm such a piece of shit. What the fuck is wrong with me for even doing this? So the difference is, one, shame is way more guttural. And two, guilt is about the actions itself. Shame is about you as a person. There's something wrong, broken, not good enough. Very much not good enough is the central message of shame.
0: Right. I always tell my clients that guilt is important. Guilt is important for us to use as a catalyst. We use guilt to kind of tell us, don't do that again. If mm-hmm. I were unfaithful and I cheated on my wife and I feel guilty about it, that's a good thing. I need to feel guilty mm-hmm. about yes. it. That's what makes me not do it again, hopefully. However, well, hopefully. we use it to push us through. We don't hold on to it ideally. Mm-hmm. We're, the shame is we're just really don't like something about ourselves, typically.
1: And in my experience, shame really drives the self-dislike all the way to self-hatred, depending on the levels of shame is how close you are to self-hatred.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, so then I like that definition. Although with a person with NPD, they usually don't feel guilt or shame.
0: Well, 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 I I disagree. They do feel shame.
1: Oh, well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, my my bad. It would be guilt.
0: But... Most of the time, you'll never see it.
1: They don't like it. The reason I got mixed up is because Mm -hmm. they have it most definitely as a core, but they do not like looking at it in any way, shape, or form.
0: So what they do is they tend to externalize it. They're going to make you feel shameful. They're going to make you feel bad, guilty, wrong, crazy, But through gaslighting,
1: gaslighting, yes, their favorite.
0: But at the core of the narcissist, there is a deep rooted sense of shame that usually originates from childhood Mm -hmm. trauma, even though we do know that there are some genetic components to all personality disorders and some neurological Mm -hmm. components. But usually, contrary to what they show you, people with narcissistic personality disorder or NPD don't like themselves.
1: Oh, no, no. I have heard some research say that they don't agree with that theory, but I don't agree with them because (laughs) I really don't think narcissists give two craps about themselves because if they have to take themselves down to take you down, they will, which is very self destructive.
0: Absolutely. And
1: so, yeah, very much shame is at the core of MPD as well as it is for BPD. And it's very, it's very key. Although we do have to specify, I will specify because research does say that. People with BPD, I don't know what it says about MPD. There are some people out there that have it without the trauma. They just have it because there's a genetic component to maybe alarm behavior. So I do I've never met those people. I really have never, but I have to say that they are out there because research says they are out there.
0: From the research that I've read, they say that of all personality disorders that it is just it's largely genetic. Mm-hmm. And what I've read is that trauma actually inflames mm-hmm. or agitates it. So think of it almost like if I have the gene for alcoholism, but Mm -hmm. I never have a drink, I'm going to be fine. And I don't worry about being an alcoholic, right? But if I have a gene for a personality disorder and Mm -hmm. I experience trauma, that's more likely to bring that personality disorder out of me. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some who disagree and they believe it's only Mm trauma-based. There's a bunch of different theories. The fact of the matter is we really don't know why these people are wired differently than Mm -hmm. most of us.
1: Well, yeah, I mean... Basically, we don't know a lot of things about why humans do what they do if we really look at it, because there's there could be two children in the same household raised the same way and perceive the childhood completely different, reacted completely different, and one could be barely functioning while the other is high-functioning, so... There's so much about the human state of being and our brain that we still have no knowledge about that really plays into a lot of this stuff that we're theorizing about, but we don't know for sure.
0: And the crazy part about that, just to further elaborate on that, is that there could be a child within a family who, let's say, has BPD or MPD Mm -hmm. and is raised the exact same way as their siblings and the siblings don't have it. Mm -hmm. Or they may have a completely different personality disorder.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, Yes, which takes us to this other part that the vast majority of people have shame of some sort or another. But just because you have shame does not require that you have a personality disorder. Thankfully. Yes, you can still shame yourself, but you don't necessarily have to have a personality disorder. And the proof that that shame is so widespread is how many people know and love Brene Brown. I mean, she's been on TED Talk. She's been on Netflix. She's been on a bunch of different shows. She does talk. She has, I don't know how many books. Don't ask me to count for you. I don't know. There are a lot. And she's very big. And pretty much her only topic that I know of that she talks about is shame and vulnerability. So if it wasn't so common and normal at this point, she'd be talking about something that only a few group of people would be listening to.
0: And how does shame present in BPD, Dr. Lynn?
1: Well, so BPD at the core of it is shame. But what I have observed throughout the years of treating people with BPD is that they absorb it. They take it in. They are the rescuers, the fixers, you know, everybody's issues, everybody's feelings, everything that's going on is my responsibility to fix, to, to pacify, to make happy. And if people aren't happy or I can't fix it, then I'm not good enough. I am the problem. And that's why there's a lot of self-harming and self-destructiveness because the I'm not good enough leads to a lot of self-hatred. Also, it can lead in some people to suicidal ideations, which is very much common, whether passive or active. And the difference between passive is I'm not going to actively go out there and kill myself. But if my car happens to go off the bridge and I die as a result, I'm not going to really do anything to stop it. While active is I'm going to go do something actively to get myself killed. A lot of people don't understand that when clients with BPD, at least the ones that I have seen, get to the point where they want to commit suicide is that the pain of I'm not good enough, I'm miserable, there's no purpose to my life gets to such a level and has been there for decades. They don't see any other way out other than just taking their lives because it's the uh, it's the ultimate obliteration. I get to stop this all and I get to stop it now. And so it makes sense when you see it from a shame point of view.
0: And it's funny that you mentioned that because we see the same thing in people with narcissistic personality disorder. You really want to see a narcissist hurt,
1: Mm -hmm. embarrass them, make them feel shameful. Oh, yeah. What
0: that does is it takes them back to being that vulnerable child once again and it takes Mm -hmm. them to that part of themselves where they don't like themselves. And you really have to be careful because if you strip that, they very well likely may become suicidal or even attempt suicide. Or now, aggressive. Or aggressive, absolutely. It could be the complete go to fight or flight mode, basically. Mm-hmm. And it can be either or. Now, I do want to put a caveat about as far as what, you will never see that shame with narcissists. There are those who see it. Narcissists usually have one person in their life. This will usually be a romantic partner or be so called the main chick or that main guy Mm -hmm. that they show that ugly side of themselves, that part of themselves they don't like. And they'll be vulnerable with that person. But that person also gets the brunt of the abuse.
1: (laughs) Yes, because they they actually see them. And again, I don't specialize in people with narcissism, but Mm -hmm. I have seen a lot of them. And it's almost like they don't mean to be vulnerable. They don't like being vulnerable. Absolutely. It's almost like they're punishing you for making them, quote-unquote, be vulnerable because they do not like anybody seeing who they are. And that is also a common thing with people with BPD. Now, I don't know if a narcissist is aware of that fear, but the people with BPD very much are, at least the ones I've worked with, that this fear of anybody who sees who I truly am will leave me.
0: Absolutely. That fear of being abandoned again, that fear Mm. of re-experiencing that trauma that they experienced in childhood. I'm so ugly that you won't like me.
1: Yeah. So if if I have an ugly moment with you or I have a vulnerable moment where I show you who I really am, I soon and quickly have to, like, come at you or distract you or gaslight you or, you know, oh, look at what you did to me to almost distract from this hopes that you will forget that I showed you that moment of vulnerability.
0: Absolutely. And it may take something for it to come out. Like I knew a narcissist and he was so coity most of the time. Mm -hmm. The only time that you actually see that vulnerability, that part where he would tell me he's an ugly person and he hates himself and he's done so many horrible things is actually when he was coming down from drugs. And when he's withdrawing, that's when the quote unquote, the real him or the core of him would actually Mm -hmm. come out. After that, when he was back to just being sobered up Mm -hmm. or being high again, he was the meanest person in the world. And extra me now because I've shown you that side of me and I have to make sure that you recognize that I am above you. Because it's all about inequality with narcissists. I'm above you, so I have to make you be put down once again.
1: Because your knowledge of my vulnerability makes you more powerful than me temporarily, so I now have to exert my power over you. Exactly. Because I've only treated a couple of people with MPD, and one of the ones that I'll never was this gentleman, and the wife and him had separated, and she had gotten everything, and the situation was really in her control versus his. And he was very vulnerable. He come into session and he actually did good work. But it lasted only temporarily. And once he almost like bounced back from it, he got a lawyer, he got new feeds, he got his family backing him up. He was going to go after her with everything he had. He was going to bury her 10 feet under. You know, he stopped therapy because he didn't think it was doing any good anymore. He even started to come at me with differences of opinions you know he was trying to come at me politically and I was like I'm not gonna have this discussion with you I don't talk politics and therapy it has no place here and he'd be like oh because you're against my guy must be and blah 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 much a lot of assumptions but it was really him trying to pick a fight because I need you to get away from me because I let you in too much
0: wow yeah. so he became too vulnerable and then scared the crap out of him basically
1: oh yes Yes. And he was a very big guy. So I let him go his main <laughs> way. <laughs>
0: I don't blame you.
1: He was starting to get really angry. And I, and the thing is, I've noticed that most people won't see the shame until I point it out to them, but they won't notice that they have a lot of anger in their lives. Mm-hmm. Anger usually is where shame discharges because you're uncomfortable with shame, but you're comfortable with anger.
0: Absolutely. Especially men. Yes. Especially us guys.
1: But you know what? Borderlines, I, I mostly treat women They also have a lot of anger. It's just how they allow themselves to express it because they need it to be socially acceptable will vary from men. Mm -hmm. But they have it just as much as men.
0: Well, think about it. Anger makes us feel powerful. So if I feel like a powerless person, it makes me feel big. When I'm angry, Mm -hmm. I can do anything.
1: And I feel in control because if I'm angry and aggressive, people will do what I need them to do.
0: Absolutely. And that thing with the narcissist, I totally believe that. And mm-hmm. part of what sounds like what happened with him also is he started having other people outside of therapy enable the behavior once again. Yes. So now, hey, I'm good. I'm whole. I don't need help anymore. Yeah. There was never anything wrong with me. So you're starting to get to a point where mm-hmm. he's having that profound, making the connections and boom, he lost oh, it.
1: I was starting to actually see that the wife reacted the way she had because he had been abusing her emotionally and psychologically. Wow. For decades. And. Once he got that support, it, the the cognitive dissonance did not allow him to have those two things, and so I was the only witness that was left that knew that he knew, so he had to get rid of me. Mm-hmm. And I understood why and I didn't judge him. I wasn't upset at what he did. I was just it was sad because he could have made so many changes yeah. that he never did because he just couldn't allow himself.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So One of the keys to treating any personality disorder, especially narcissists, because they are so Mm hoity-toity, is they have to have that gift for desperation. Mm -hmm. So if he started getting everything back within his life and he started having support and other people, I don't need you anymore. There is nothing wrong with me. I can kind of go back to being a jerk and acting Mm -hmm. the way I was acting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like when they get hurt, they're deflated puffer fish. And then once they get their supplies again, they become puffed up.
0: I love that. That's a great analogy.
1: Yes, they're puffer fish. So let's talk really quickly about some of these signs of what they call toxic shame, but I've heard as debilitating shame. And maybe you will find that you have some of these or all of these. So one of them is you tend to isolate and you fear intimacy. And intimacy is not, oh, I fear sex. It's the emotional connection of being able to be almost, I guess you could say metaphorically, naked in front of somebody where they see everything you are. And you're saying, here I am, and you're very vulnerable. And that's very scary because if you feared being judged and being shamed, you're not going to do that. And unfortunately, intimacy is required for relationships to function. So the next one is the feelings of inferiority. Really, that's just driven by the I'm not good enough. You know, so you have the complex at work where you think that you're not as good as you actually are.
0: Imposter syndrome?
1: Yes, that's the one. Thank you. So <laughs> imposter syndrome, you're you're doing the job. You've been doing it magnificently for, for years, but you still like, yeah, it's just a matter of time before they catch me and know that I don't know what I'm doing and they're going to fire me. And I'm like, but you've been doing this job for five years. If you didn't know how to do it, I think they would have caught you before now. <laughs> Right. But now you just think, yeah, I'm not good enough. I'm there, Yeah, I'm not smart. You know, you know, I passed this class. I had a client that told me I'm stupid. Like, dude, you just finished passing a calculus class. I can't do calculus. <laughs> so if you're stupid, yeah, there's no hope for me. There's just absolutely no hope for me. But they were completely convinced. I'm stupid. Wow. And so with that also comes low self-worth. Again, I'm not good enough. You know, and, and sometimes people will have their worth wrapped around. So i only worthy if I'm helping everybody around me or if I'm the best mother ever or if I'm the best wife ever or I'm the best therapist ever and I never make any mistakes and I do everything with no boundaries and I burn myself out. And that's what makes me good. But because there's such a high level of expectation you can never meet, you never feel worthy enough. Or if today you actually did what you felt that you needed to do, you feel wealthy, but tomorrow you don't again. And the tricky thing about having your worth wrapped in what you're doing versus just being is that if you get sick, if you get older, if you retire, if those roles like mother, wife change because you get divorced or the kids grow up and move out, you will be completely decimated. You no longer will have any purpose or worth as a human being. And that's humongously problematic. Absolutely. A lot of times avoidance. So you avoid certain topics, certain places, certain people, because they trigger that sense of shame. Again, the biggest problem that some people find with this and avoidance, besides it just screws you over, is that if you don't allow yourself to look at the mistake you made and learn from it so that you won't repeat, you're doomed to repeat the mistake and prove to yourself, validate Your inner voice's belief that I'm not good enough, I'm stupid, because, oh, look at me, I can't stop making this mistake. Not that you're dumb, it's that you didn't look back and allow yourself to learn to not repeat it because the shame was so overwhelming and destructive that it didn't allow for that. So there is some guilt involved, there's feelings of loneliness, you hide. Perfectionism and performance anxiety is a huge huge piece of shame. Like if you have to be perfect, you probably have some level of shame because if you didn't, you would understand that nobody's perfect. And to expect that is to set yourself up for failure. You know, there's destructive and compulsive behavior. So if I have shame, I'll try to numb it. So I overeat, I drink. I use drugs. I numb with Netflix. I scroll on social media all the time. I notice that I, I'm i just always out of it if I'm not doing something. And not that looking at Netflix and social media and having the occasional drink is bad. Again, black and white. The gray is, okay, you had a couple of drinks with friends because you're having a good time. Not so good is when you start drinking all the time because you don't want to deal with the, the crappy day because you made mistakes at work and you can't handle them. And so you're drinking and numbing with Facebook or Instagram or TikTok to, to deal with it. And also, one of the biggest ones is you lack healthy boundaries. Huge. I have to do this thing for this person. And if I don't, then I'm a bad friend, a bad daughter, a bad whatever. And unhealthy people, toxic people will take full advantage of this because you also people please. People please to Jesus because you need others to prove that you have worth and that you are good enough, which means you've also given other people all the power and control over you, which is the irony of people with trauma. They do want to be out of control and feel powerless, but yet they give all their power and control to everybody outside of them. Therefore, guaranteeing they will consistently feel out of control and powerless. Yep. And the more you try to control the outside, the more you've already lost control inside. Absolutely. So that's pretty much my piece. Do you want to add anything to that?
0: I want to point out that we look at combinations of personality disorders. There's certain ones that tend to be attracted to one another. One of the sets that we typically see are borderlines. People with borderline personality disorder, along with people with narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the borderline who fear being abandoned are willing to almost do anything and put up with anything that the narcissist dulls out. And the narcissist who's looking for unconditional love oh, at yes. the most toxic sense is like, okay, hey, So the borderline saying you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And the narcissist is like, I know. He's <laughs> like,
1: fantastic. You're right. the one.
0: Exactly. So we typically see the two of them together and it makes for a pretty unhealthy combination.
1: Yeah, because the borderline is good at absorbing the shame and the narcissist is good at dulling it out. Yep. And so if you find that any of these things sound familiar, don't fret. There is a way to but the way to treat it is my clients absolutely hate it. It's like a vampire to garlic. It's self compassion.
0: Ooh, mm-hmm.
1: self-compassion giving yourself a break giving two craps about yourself doing for you what you would do for anybody because most of my clients with borderline would do above and beyond even for a stranger but for them oh gross
0: and it's a very unfamiliar feeling for our borderlines or people pleasers our helpers mm-hmm. however i promise you the more you do it the easier it becomes the mm-hmm. more second nature it's a matter of recognizing that your needs are just as important as everyone else's. Yes. And you can't pour out of your cup if you have nothing to give.
1: And people say that's so cheesy, but I'm like, it's so true. Right. You, How can you even accept love if you don't love yourself? Because when somebody tries to love you, compliment you, acknowledge you're great, how great you are, you're going to go, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, what about you? You can't allow somebody to love you. Therefore, you're setting yourself up to be with somebody who won't. True. AKA a narcissist.
0: true and this is also why the narcissist treats people who love them well so badly because they don't feel as though they deserve it they don't like themselves remember yeah despite the bravado yeah. i don't like me
1: exactly and what's wrong with you that you love me exactly you, you, you must have an angle and so working on your shame and self-compassion and self-care and everything that comes with it is so integral to cure and overcome shame and now let me correct the cure. It's not really curing. It's not a disease. And it's an emotion. And we're never going to fully get rid of emotions because emotions are warning systems that need to be looked at and felt. It's just getting it to the point where it's very little. And if you do have it, that you notice it because you become in tuned with your emotions and you can go, huh, what's going on here? Maybe I need some self-care. Maybe I need something that I'm not giving. It's important to know that you have needs and that You need to fulfill them or meet them or ask for help because somebody else can meet them. And maybe you can't at the time.
0: So along with that, one of the things I want to add is that we are as sick as our secrets. Mm. And what I mean by that is that shame is a cycle. Mm -hmm. So if I feel bad about and I feel shameful about something that happened to me, let's say that I was child abused as a kid or or sexually abused and I don't tell anybody, it, it just Further provokes that shame. Mm-hmm. The more I share it with people, the more I take my power back. And usually, we start to realize that it really is not as bad as we think it is. And other people have a similar story as well. Yes. Whether it's you're telling it to other people in your life, you're telling it to a therapist, it's important to talk about those things you do feel shameful about.
1: Yeah, I tell my clients shame is like a roach. One, it's ugly and nobody likes it. And two, it hates the light. It so hates like a the roach. light. So I love you that. know. Self-compassion is the raid of shame. Now,
0: sometimes people will say to me, well, what if, you know, it's something shameful I feel guilty about that I can't exactly make amends for or I can't. I talk about it, but it doesn't get better. Yeah. I give you an example. I had a client once and he had been drinking and driving and he killed someone. Mm. And it's like, you know, how do I ever make that right? And it's yeah. really no way you can. The person's gone. One of the things that we worked out was that I told him, you know, go ahead and volunteer and talk about. How you feel shameful about this. Talk to kids about the dangers of drinking and driving. You make amends that way, the best way that you can. And you will find some relief from that.
1: Well, it's also helping them come to the point where they can forgive themselves. Absolutely. Because if he doesn't forgive himself, he'll never be able to get past that shame. Exactly. Oh, I think we've done good and we can wrap it up.
0: I think we have too. I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. Remember that you are lovable. If you've made it through to the end of this, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. Check back in with us. We'll have lots of juicy things to talk to you about and teach you and just kind of figure out this journey called life together.
1: All right. And if you feel like you need to address it, then find your local helpful therapist and start the work.
0: All right. Talk to you soon.
1: All right. Bye.
0: Bye.